Hey, welcome back to Prognosis Ohio, an Ohio healthcare podcast in collaboration with WCB in Columbus. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. So by now, we're all aware of the tremendous public health crisis we've been and are still going through. And I don't have to tell you that the effects of the past few months, and likely the next few at least, are going to be with us for a long time. At least 30 million Americans are newly out of work, and our social safety net is strained, to put it mildly. Even as there's all this conversation about quote-unquote reopening, that doesn't mean that the crisis will be over. On today's episode, I talk with a state representative who, along with some of his colleagues, has been a vocal champion of making sure that the necessary social supports are in place, including healthcare supports that allow Ohioans to access healthcare services. As always, before turning to my conversation with today's guest, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, and consider following us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio and on Facebook too. Also, if you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. We're really excited about the next bunch of shows we have coming. To give you just a taste, next week I'm going to have an interview with the president of the Ohio Restaurant Association in which we discuss how Ohio restaurants are gearing up to reopen in a safe manner, presumably in the next few weeks. Then we've got an episode on the importance of humor in making it through the COVID-19 pandemic in which I interview two Cincinnati comedians. And finally, I'm going to be talking with two young Ohioans who work with an amazing group, the Ohio Students for Gun Legislation, an organization that has an important perspective on the current public health moment. So we've got lots more good and substantive discussions coming. With that said, a bunch of you have already subscribed and become Prognosis Ohio patrons, and we're super appreciative for that. If a few more listeners could ship in just the three bucks, it'd really help us to grow the show. When the pandemic is over, we're going to make sure that we get you one of the cool Prognosis Ohio t-shirts we're making. Also, I want you to know that every cent that we bring in through Patreon is going to go to my producer, Mark, who was laid off during the COVID-19 pandemic, and he's doing a great job building the show. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in three bucks a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. State Representative Thomas West serves the 49th House District, a diverse district that consists of a portion of Stark County, including Canton and most of Massillon. Representative West served as a Canton City Council member for 13 years before he was elected to the state legislature. Before serving in local government, Representative West worked as a mental health professional for over 25 years, and during that time he served a range of communities in a variety of roles, both as a licensed clinical social worker and as an advocate, founder, and program administrator. We reached out to Representative West this week because he, along with colleagues such as Representative Allison Russo and Representative Beth Liston, have been urging the DeWine administration and their statehouse colleagues to expand Ohio's healthcare safety net, especially by requesting increased access for Ohio's Medicaid program. At the same time, Representative West had just been appointed to the economic task force that you may have read a little bit about in the news lately, and which yielded a bit of unhelpful shenanigans from a public health perspective. I should mention, though, that our conversation took place about a week ago and things are moving fast, so keep that in mind as you listen. We're doing our best to keep the conversations rolling. Okay, now to our conversation with Representative Thomas West. Well, Representative West, thanks so much for joining me on Prognosis Ohio. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just want to start off by asking a kind of general question, which is, how's your district doing through this COVID-19 situation? Um the great city of Canton, Ohio, and House District 49. I mean, how are you all doing? How are you doing? Um, can you give us an update? Well, we're doing very good. You know, there's, of course, the community is still in uh, 
are complying with all the rules and regulations of the state. And, and, and naturally, everybody's still trying to are very concerned about what's going to happen in the near future. Uh, and as you know, uh, this area is really heavily uh, supports football, uh, mm-hmm. being the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and that coming up with uh, Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Dallas. So, you know, everyone's <laughs> right now worried about is the Hall of Fame game going to happen? <laughs> See, so, these, are the, these are the bread and butter issues. You know, I'm a hockey fan and I think most hockey and basketball fans have kind of, they're in the grieving period of realizing they're probably not going to get the rest of the season, but the football people are kind of like on their edge. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, it, it's been difficult even here at home, uh, not watching basketball or football or any kind of sport, but it is a new norm uh, and something we got to get used to. So I had reached out to you originally, you know, to talk a little bit about uh, a request that you made along with uh, Representative Allison Russo and Representative Beth Liston. Uh, Representative Liston was on our show recently, I should mention, talking yes. about uh, insulin pricing. Oh, um, yes. And, and you and your colleagues called on Governor uh, DeWine and Medicaid Director Corcoran to apply for exceptions for Ohio's Medicaid program and for you know, the wonkier types at home, we call these uh, 1135 waivers. Yes. Um, and the waiver would re- ease some restrictions that would allow the Medicaid program here in Ohio to uh, facilitate uh, greater access for more Ohioans. Um, and, you know, since you put that request out, I know the governor and Director Corcoran have agreed to apply for the waiver. Can you give us an update and tell us a little bit about why you did this and what, what you hope to achieve with it? Well, yeah, let me first say that this is a first a promising first step for the Department of Medicaid to seek greater flexibility uh, and to increase telehealth services uh, within the state of Ohio. As you probably know that in our health committee, uh, telehealth services have been talked about for the last year and a half, and um, people have been asking for it to be increased and utilized, and now we here we are. We're here now ready to, uh, to access those services, and this waiver does just that. It allows for more telehealth services to minimize that in-person contact and to remove opt- obstacles to nursing home care. So I think that was the premise that the governor came through uh, last week, I believe it was, uh, and then put forth uh, his order authorizing the department uh, to make changes regarding telehealth services. Uh, telehealth services were expanded to include things like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, crisis intervention, peer recovery support, uh, substance abuse, case management services, and so many other things that now I think we have to go to because this is what people need the most. And I'm excited about uh, the opportunity to have our state utilize these services. So on a recent episode, we talked about um, this kind of state of Ohio's community health centers, and they were excited about this as well um, as a way, you know, something they've been asking for for a while and and are looking forward to. Because right now, people are afraid about going into a lot of the physical spaces like hospitals and community health centers because of COVID, and telehealth gives them a little bit more peace of mind. We're hoping that will bring some people to talk about things that might be going on with their health. Well, yeah, because as you know, since we're at home now, you see increases of suicide, you may see increase of domestic violence, and so many different problems now because people are closed in, maybe depression or a little bit of anxiety. Those are things that we need to talk about. And uh, through this order, it helps be able to provide those services. So your local mental health systems are, you know, have local hotlines to be able to uh, address some of your issues. So if I'm correct, also the waiver 
uh, is also aiming to expand uh, access as well, up to 200% uh, federal poverty level for adults and also up to 300% for children. Is that still part of the waiver request? Is that something that the governor is going to move forward with? Well, you know what? I, we're hopeful. We're hopeful that that will happen. I know that's something that we had asked for and aimed for because, as you know, the study uh, there's a study that's done by the Internal Medicine uh, Academy Journal. It talks about uh, 1.5 million Americans have lost coverage. And during this uh, pandemic, you're looking at expecting 7 million to lose coverage. This is something we need to make certain that that happens, that we have access to more services uh, for families uh, and for individuals. So I'm hoping that the governor will continue to move forward on that. Yes. Yeah, I remember a day, um, and I'd written about this a little bit in my in my academic life. I uh, when you know 2014 with the original Medicaid expansion that Governor Kasich and and um, yeah. and others uh, pushed forward. I mean, that was really controversial at the time, and that was up to 138 percent of federal poverty. So, do you have a sense of um, you know among your caucus or not just your caucus, but your colleagues across the aisle as well, uh, that this is you know something that uh, people are, are understanding the urgency of? Or do you have a sense that this is going to be, become part of the, the, the similar kind of Medicaid politics that we see? You know what? I, I, I can't say that because I haven't really been able to, to navigate that with uh, my colleagues on the other side, especially since this pandemic. You know, I am hopeful that uh, when uh, when everything hits the uh, the fan, uh, everybody will be on board uh, and supportive. But you know, you have people that say that as the Medicaid goes up, obviously, you know, the, there's going to be a need for more dollars at the state level to right. pitch in. Uh, but it's a good thing that the federal government has acted and has been able to increase the levels that they're uh, putting in the Medicaid, so that that will help balance some things out. Or, or have a less impact on the state budget. You know, you kind of gestured to something that I always find kind of fascinating. I mean, so much of what helps bipartisan policymaking is actually being able to be in the same space, to have relationships that are kind of running into people in the halls or grabbing a cup of coffee. And right now, so much of that's on hold that I'm, right. I'm guessing that it's really hard to kind of keep this collegial vibe going if you had started to build that at all. <laughs> uh, very much so. And, you know, I've learned uh, being in a legislature, everything's about relationships. Yeah. And uh, every policy that comes through is really having a personal connection. And it doesn't really become personal sometimes until it actually hits their family or someone close to them. Uh, yeah. Or you have a seriously deep connection, uh, sit down, talk with a person and really help them understand what is going on in the life of your constituency. And Ohio, uh, as you know, uh, as Kasich took the lead and fighting for that Medicaid expansion. I believe we're in a time period now where we really need to start talking about medical care for all. I'm excited uh, about the opportunity to be a part of the discussion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as a health policy professor and being in the health policy world, you're seeing a lot of people right now at a minimum saying, you know, we're going to have to learn from this in big ways. Nobody can say exactly what we're going to learn or what the necessary outcome is going to be. I mean, we have a presidential election that's going to determine some of that. But one thing is clear, this has got to be a moment that we learn from. You know, I agree. And I, you know, going into that, and as we talk about what we're facing, we're also seeing an issue with uh, minorities, uh, of course, individuals that have um, chronic diseases uh, are being left out of the equation. And we sent a letter to the governor 
asking him to really look at minority communities, those communities that are more vulnerable to COVID-19, and to start uh, addressing those issues. He came out with a, a task force, uh, a minority health task force, and it's a member of uh, 38 members across the state that will be addressing those issues. So he's been very responsive uh, mm-hmm. to our request, and I can say that uh, I think Ohio is going to do well as long as we allow politics to sit on the side and egos to sit on the side and really look at public policy that's meaningful and impactful for the state of Ohio. Yeah, I've been following the the work that you and Representative Golonsky and other members of the Ohio Legislative yeah. Black Caucus have been doing. You know, it, it is interesting that, uh, you know, Ohio, one, one of the things I think we're doing well um, is we're letting the epidemiology drive the policy yes. instead of the politics. Although, Right now is certainly a moment where a lot of people are sitting on the edge of their seat, sort of waiting for that to break because the anxiety is getting high, you know, and, yeah. and people uh, understandably are anxious about their jobs and, and their lives. So, you know, I, I applaud you for, for raising the issue of disparity <laughs> and the governor for being responsive. Hey, Dan, and I got to tell you, to be all honest, you know, uh, we got to get this right. If we open up too early or prematurely, then we end up in another crisis because either another shutdown or in much worse condition. So I don't, I don't think that we have the luxury of getting this wrong or just throwing it out willy nilly. It's time that we really listen to the, the science and, and look out the health outcomes and, and move from there. And I, I think we're going to do that uh, and do this thing responsibly. Uh, and like I said, there is some politics coming into it because people are anxious to open up their doors. But sometimes if you open up your doors too early, you can literally hurt your or your business or uh, whatever entity or organization you belong to. As listeners know, we like to plug important nonprofits doing work in and around Ohio. These aren't ads, to be clear, but just something we like to do to give these organizations a little bit of exposure. Youth food programs have always been crucial for our community's health and well-being, and community service centers like Andrew's House strive to bring school and summer lunches and so much more to children. Ohio schools have been closed due to recent events, and summer is just around the corner, but many kids still struggle with sustainable nutrition and need the help of programs like Andrew's House. Head over to andrewshouse.org support us for a variety of options for donation and support. That's andrewshouse.org support us. You'll also find this information in the show notes, so check that out. You, you were appointed recently to uh, this economic recovery work group, and you know, yeah. and, and that's happening. I know that, like everything else, uh, you and I were talking before we started recording today about how you know we've all had to sort of reorganize our basement uh, studio areas, our offices to be able to find a place to have our Zoom meetings. Like this is kind of the the reality. And I've watched some of these meetings. It's fascinating to see a legislative session or a work group even of legislators kind of doing the same thing. But, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, you're holding these meetings and there are protests. Um, they're not huge protests in Ohio, but they're they're there of people who are doubting the epidemiology, doubting the science. And you have that kind of juxtaposed by people like Director Corcoran, Director Acton, and uh, the governor, who are saying, "Look, we're gonna we're 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 not gonna play the political game. We're gonna be sensitive. We're gonna be understanding, but we're not going to let that drive us." Can you give a sense of what your 
your hope is like how do we find the balance between listening to those kinds of voices but also staying focused on health outcomes and and health data yeah i think that there is a, a healthy balance uh to it all and one of the things that i've learned from even listening to some of the businesses that have come on the economic recovery task force meeting there are some spaces where we can actually open these individuals up there's some places that can be open. Maybe they're not quote unquote essential, but they their numbers or the individuals that are going into their businesses aren't large enough to be considered as a, a potential harm. But as long as you carry the certain or you're a little bit more safer and you got the mask on and you know you're doing the sanitizing and things of that nature, you're keeping a healthy environment, then I would believe that you can open some mom and pop stores. So you got like Walmart right now, and Walmart is probably the only place that's open around here. And you have tons of people in Walmart, and you have an opportunity where you could actually contract the virus more there than you would in a little small um, right, right. Or, or restaurant or jewelry shop or whatever. Um, so I would say, yeah, I think that there's a healthy balance of there's some things that we can open, and then there's other things that are maybe later in, in, in different phases. But while those places are closed, that's where government needs to help um, assist those individuals because a lot of them don't have resources coming in. Previously, I used to own a, a restaurant, and it cost me more money to open those doors than to leave them shut. Uh, so like I said, you know, we got to get it right. If your business is out there and you are uh, pushing to get it open, make certain that you're going to have the traffic. Because if I don't feel comfortable coming to your store, then it's just like being closed. And But yeah. you still have money and still money coming out the door. That's a really good point. We actually, I just got off the phone before we started recording today. We're going to be talking to uh, folks from the Ohio Restaurant Association on an on a, um, upcoming episode. Oh, good. And, you know, restaurant folks are saying, look, I, you know, I can't open up twice. Like, we got to get this right. So when I open, I open and we do it in the right way. But if we're going to do this open and then close and then open and then close, whether it's with schools or restaurants yeah. or sports. I mean, that just drives people crazy, first of all, but you know, is extremely costly. Very costly. And, and I'm excited that you say that you're in a Columbus area because one of the uh, restaurants that's next to the state house, one of my favorites, Burger I Am, uh, actually closed its doors uh, as a result of all this. So uh, that's unfortunate because I'm gonna miss those burgers, but <laughs> at the same yeah. time, uh, I understand. Well, you know, I, I think that's going to be just the beginning of it, right? And I mean, you you represent an area that's been through its ups and downs of uh, you know economic ups and downs, and you know was talking about a you know a revitalization or a renaissance and then along comes covid-19 and i think this is kind of yeah. the whiplash that our state is feeling in a number of ways and here in stark county uh, one of the things that they're doing downtown is they have a 12 million dollars project that's still actually going on to renovate the downtown and there's restaurants that are currently there and they're uh, part of the they're getting a loan from the ppp and hopefully at some point in time, they'll be able to open back up. But I know that all of them right now are struggling and uncertain about the future. And yeah. that's that's the biggest, that's the hardest thing for me to see is like not knowing is the hardest thing for people uh, during these times. Yeah. And you can, as I said, I mean, you can 
appreciate people's anxiety, even while strong leadership has to keep doing what it knows to be right and working with people the best they can, being flexible, but not capitulating against all evidence, you know, and, and not endangering the entire society because there's anxiety there. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing. I mean, just trying to weigh the economic and health consequences of policymaking right now. While also, as you mentioned, and just to, to come back to the point you made about uh, racial disparity, I mean, you know, when I first heard, and I was glad that there was going to be this conversation about racial disparity with COVID-19, mm-hmm. but there's racial disparity with every aspect of our healthcare in this state already. And it was like the least surprising thing I had heard in a while <laughs> that this, that it would also be here. What we have is another instance of a, of, of a trend that's been long time in process. It's just that COVID is you know, bringing it out again. Well, again, and I think anytime that you have an opportunity to start talking about disparities, it's a good thing for our state, for people to really see the impact that, that some people have versus others. And we are also having that same conversation now in that economic uh, recovery task force, uh, because as we also know, when it comes down to minority businesses versus your everyday mainstream business, they suffer at greater levels. They don't have those same relationships with banks. They don't have the same relationships with all those other vendors that you have. And there's trust factors and things of that nature. You know, their starting point is not at the beginning line. It's like five steps back. And it's sad because you're going to see the same thing happen as we relaunch. Minority businesses are going to struggle and stumble to move forward because they're not getting the loans, uh, the PPP loans and things of that nature. They're using their own dollars. And uh, But this is all healthy discussion for us to start really looking at the most vulnerable populations and to start saying, how do we change that? Or how do we change that trajectory so that these individuals become productive? And then next thing you know, our economy is a lot stronger because we're operating on all cylinders, not just a select few. Well, Representative Thomas West, I want to thank you for taking some time to talk with me uh, and for all the important work you're involved with. And uh, Dan, I really appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, staying focused on what we're doing at the state house and beyond. And I applaud you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Your podcast is important. Great. Well, thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. All right. Bye now. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at WCBE.org under the podcast experience tab. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Prognosis Ohio. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and be well, friends. <laughs>